Uh, I'm going to give you a message that I'm entitling, Get Rid of That Old Time Religion. If, if, if that's all the amens I get through the rest of the sermon, I just got more than I normally get in a whole sermon, so... Get rid of that old-time religion. I wonder if there's anybody here old, old enough, old school enough, old church enough to remember that old song, Give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, it's good enough for me. Don't remember that? Some of you are singing right along. And uh, I remember that, and that used to be the big deal, right? It was good for Paul and Silas, right? I went and looked up all the verses. Now, I understand the, the premise of this song, and I understand the, the sentiment that's behind it, but I'm afraid that for many, the problem is, is that they're stuck in the old-time religion. We, have, we haven't sang it in many years, but that song has been sung mo so many times. And what of this word religion anyway. There used to be a day that when somebody said that they, they got religion, I got religion in church this morning. That was, a good, that was actually a good thing. And then there came a time when the whole word religion had nothing but a negative connotation to it. Um, and as a church, I believe that we are on a vision quest for transformation in 2021. And I'm continuing on that that vein of transformation. And transformation has to happen from the very basic level, from the very core level first. We have to be rebuilt, reformed, and we have to be transformed in so many levels and, on, and in so many different ways, I believe. Uh, I know that I want to, and I know that you too, uh, you want to as well, to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is something the Bible teaches us, uh, I want to be, and I know you want to be as well, prepared for the Lord's soon return. Can I get a witness there? And um, the problem, uh, maybe, the, yeah, the problem is, is that we're, we're often not willing to take off the old and put on the new. Uh, last week I spoke about the obedience of faith, where we discovered that one of the main things that uh, stands in our way and holds people back is condemnation. And condemnation disrupts, it, it hinders our ability to move ahead. In fact, condemnation in our hearts and in our minds and how we operate because of religion, it, it will keep us from experiencing transformation. And we get stuck there. Many times, if not at all times, the uh, sense of low self-esteem that people may feel or the sense of condemnation, it comes from a spirit of religion is its source. Again, as I said earlier, what of this word religion? And I'll, I'll go uh, slower now. There's actually a Latin word, Stacy, that I should have given you early and earlier. And by the way, uh, Stacy uh, just lost her grandmother to earth, and heaven gained another saint this weekend. And our hearts are with you, dear, and we love you uh, tremendously. So, God bless you. Amen. Uh, this is an interesting word, religion. I was really blown away when I looked this up, and it, it really it, it stems from a Latin uh, word 
R-E, re, which means again. Repeat, re, it's a Latin for again. The, the other half of this word is from a Greek word, ligare, which is L-I-G-A-R-E, which means, are you ready? To bind. So if you think about it, religion says to bind again. People get free, then they end up in a church that is steeped in religious religion, religious behavior, and it does nothing more than bind them again. And oh yeah, they got religion all right. So honest to goodness, there is no good connotation of this word, even from its source in the Latin, re and ligare. So we think we need religion because it denotes some sense of activity, some sense of performance, some dutiful works that present us as somehow suitable or that our works and the things that we do uh, present us somehow holy before God. And, and it's a spirit of condemnation. It's a spirit of low, a sense of low self-worth that causes us to get stuck in the rut of religion. And there's churches all over the planet that are so steeped in religion that honest to goodness, they don't even know that they're bound. And I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or manner that this church here is religion free. Okay? We're not gospel light, but I pray that we are religion light. Uh, and it's, it's, a tra- it's something that needs to be transformed, but it doesn't get transformed from here. It gets transformed from there and here in each of us to recognize exactly who we are in Christ. And I want you to recognize today that religion is a spiritual thief. Religion is a spiritual killer. And why do we continue being religious when righteousness Not religion is what we already have through Jesus Christ with an intimate relationship with him. We don't have religion. He never gave us religion. He gave us righteousness. And maybe we need to see religion for what it really is. I don't know that you can look much further than the actual Latin source of the word than to see that it's basically saying, sign me up, I want to be bound again. I want to be in bondage again. I was in bondage. I got free at the altar, but I want to get connected to a church that will help me get bound again. (laughs) I don't even want to go near that church. Right on? And yet there's still some people that will get pretty upset when you begin to change their religious icons in church. Maybe we need to see religion for what it really is. Maybe our major malfunction is that we don't know who we are or what we already have in Christ Jesus. So I'm getting pretty basic really in the gospel message and helping us re-understand, understand again, some basic principles of our faith, not our religion. We've been programmed into thinking that we need religion to somehow keep us on the straight and narrow. That if I got religion, then I'm going to be good. Therefore, you have become, again, what, as I talked last week, very performance-oriented, works 
oriented and we can never measure up. Not, not a one of us, I don't care how much religion you have, can never measure up to the works measuring rod. So you always feel like you're falling short. The devil uses that, plants the seed of condemnation, and he halts your progress right there in the rut of religion. I'm, I'm, challenge, I'm challenging us all to explore the transformative possibilities of exchanging the old-time religion for the new covenant. Not a new religion, because religion still, by sense of what the... And words mean things, folks. Even if I say, well, I'm going to have a new religion, you're just saying, I'm going to get a new form of being bound again. Think about that. Some of you, every time you say religion for this next week, you're going to go, pooey on you. <laughs> What's the sign for pooey? <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> I love this girl so much. She's so awesome. Oh, praise God. She makes me way more entertaining than I really am. So. Oh, I want to exchange... What is a mindset and heart set of an old way of religion for the new covenant that God wants to reveal to us? He's been revealing it since Jesus showed up on planet Earth. He's been revealing it over the centuries through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and yet we are still stuck in religion. Heaven forbid that Resurrection Life Church be known as a religious church. Got good religion over there. Good bondage. No, thank you. I just soon not have it, right? God's simple message to us through Jesus Christ is this out with the old, in with the new. And so say it with me right now out with the old, in with the new. If I could sum up my whole message in one sentence, there it is right there out with the old, in with the new. And that's not just a New Year's message. That's the journey that God has us on together in this transformative process of truly becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And many of us have, been, have missed that mark because we're more disciples of religion than we are Jesus Christ. We're doing religion in the name of Jesus Christ. If I were to even explain that sentence, it would be, we're doing being bound again in the name of Jesus Christ. That doesn't fit because Jesus says, I'll set you free. Right on? Okay. So for whatever reason, though, we like to keep the old nearby, Michael. I didn't say that because I know you're already old. But uh, <laughs> what did you look at your wife for? That was a bad moment to look at your bride. We like to keep the old nearby. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, that sort of maybe is a, a nostalgic default, you know, in case things don't work out with the new like we'd like for them to work out. So keep that old nearby because we're familiar with it and it seems to at least on a surface level work somehow, but we still can't figure out why we're like, you know, little Christian hamsters in the, the wheel, you know, constantly going round and round and round. But you know what? You can't make fit. You, you, there's nothing you or I can do to make Jesus fit 
into the old way. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, Dale. You can't do it. Oh, I suppose if you hit it hard enough with a hammer, you might be able to, but it just doesn't work. Jesus brought about a new covenant, a new way of doing things, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of worshiping, a new way of everything. He brought about a brand new covenant. And I've been speaking about the new covenant since the first Sunday of the month when I said that was the focus that the Lord gave me, even that morning, about communion, about the new covenant. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus, you may not know this, but Jesus couldn't have, he could not have been further removed from the old time, the old law way of religion than any other person ever walked on planet earth. Jesus was so far away from that that it'll blow your socks off when you realize that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 from the New King James says, put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I know that in, in, in very many respects this is talking about what happens to us when we accept Christ. That old Rick is supposed to die and a new Rick is supposed to resurrect into life you know, as a, as a born-again believer of Jesus. And that is absolutely true. But then what do we do? We end up defaulting to that old-time religion. And religion, and I'm going to keep hammering this, means at its very origin to be bound again. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. So say it out loud with me, out with the old and with the new. God himself made a departure from the old to the new when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I don't know whether you know it or not, but Jesus was, as I said, was about as far from old law religious thinking and old law activity as anybody who ever set foot on planet earth. Uh, his lineage, his family tree is really presents the best case about Jesus and how that is an abandoning of the old way of thinking and an embracing of the new way of thinking. We're going to take a look at that for a minute. Now, we in our Christianity, we, we know Jesus as our high priest, right? That's, that's something most all of us recognize in our Christianity. He is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 24 through 25, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So he is our great high priest, scripturally, no doubt about it. He's our mediator. He's our representative before God. However, under the own law, under the uh, religious system, even by command of God himself, only the tribe of Levi could produce someone who could be a priest. No one outside of the tribe were qualified in any way, shape, or manner to serve in the temple to serve as a priest, specifically and especially as a priest. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. 
Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So even the presentation of Jesus on planet earth from the tribe of Judah was a removal from old time thinking because under God's original system there, you could not serve in the temple unless you were from the tribe of Levi. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 7. I'll prove it to you with the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. Amen. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, notice it says that, that perfection was from the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, which is a whole other study, we won't do that today, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Hmm. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing about concerning priests. Now, for thousands of years, Old Testament priests came only from one place. They came from the tribe of Levi. That is until Jesus showed up on the scene. And quite frankly, based on the rules of religion, he's an illegal priest. Based on the rules of I know there's a tension in what I'm saying here, but you need to hear me out. Based on the rules of, and I prefaced it, based on the rules of religion, he's an illegal priest because his birth certificate absolutely disqualifies him as a priest. He's from the wrong tribe. At its very basic level, God is saying, uh, I'm about to do it different. I'm going to do this so new that it's going to do away with the old. Huh? And Jesus made his church on planet earth here, created this church, and then we want to go back to bondage. No? We don't want to? Okay. But think about it. Okay. Why in the world would God do this? Instead of making Jesus from the tribe of Levi, why didn't he just adjust time and space so that Jesus was born not from the tribe of Judah, but from the priesthood tribe, the Levitical tribe? I mean, he, we know Jesus could have done, I mean, God could have done that, you know, with a breath, and Jesus would have been born, uh, you, know, you know, do you know that part of his lineage was also a lady by the name of Rahab, who was a prostitute? Okay, if, I don't, if the birth certificate doesn't work, then bloodline should make you go, this dude doesn't qualify as a priest according to the old religious system. Because God is saying, out with the old and in with the new. I don't know about you, but you, are you ready to be transformed from 
binding yourself again to a way of religion and finally being free because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Can I get a witness from somebody? Why in the world would God do this? I think the reason is is that God was not looking for a smooth, cookie-cutter, old-school, law-like relationship. He, he didn't even want a religion. It's never been in his desire that we would be religious, but that we would be relational, that we would have relationship with. He wanted to turn everything upside down, and he'd done so by having Jesus be our high priest, an unqualified priest, based on the law. Okay? We learned last week that law-like behavior breeds condemnation, right? Which holds us back and doesn't allow us to be transformed. And it's all a part of the Father's master plan. There's a new kind of priest in town, and his name is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hmm. Joni and I did not get together and segue things, you know, tie and knit the message and the songs together. All a part of the master plan. Thousands of years of God's God doing things one way, and, uh, and, and, and they're suddenly switched to a new way. And since a new kind of priest is in town from a different tree, family tree, the old way, the old-time religion is now incompatible with the new time, new type of relationship. It's like trying to push a square peg into a round hole. But we've been doing it as church for hundreds of years. Let's just keep pushing and maybe we can get that square peg into that round hole and we can be religious and God will be happy with us and if we know God's happy with us, then we can be free. That's not how this thing works. New way, I know, old way, I know that may not make a lot of difference to some people because really for the most part, after all, we are fairly weak Christians, at least in comparison to Jesus. Okay, let me put a a qualifier there. Anybody want to stand yourself up next to Jesus and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. I don't think so. Many of you probably feel like you know you've committed some horrible sins, whether before you got saved, or even after you got saved, or this morning on the way to church, whatever that may, whatever may be the case. And and maybe we there's times. I, I listen. I've been I've been here. This isn't you know just something to throw at you. It's something that I worked through. And uh, there have been times that I've gone through serious challenges in my life, troubles, trials, that my faith has even been challenged. And so we come face to face with challenged faith sometimes when we are uh, hitting Goliath type of struggles. Can I get a witness? But now let me startle you even more. How many people have you killed? Any murderers in the house? You might think, well, why in the world would you ask us how many people that we've killed? 
Well, did you know that a great majority of the Bible was written by murderers? I know that really messes with some people's religion. Think about it. Moses killed an Egyptian out of rage. David killed a man in order to steal his wife. Hello. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, killed Christians. Yeah. Compared to killing Christians, how big are your sins now? Huh? Think about it. Newsflash. The only thing that stops us from reaching our potential in God is not feeling that we're qualified to have a relationship with God. We only feel qualified to have religion. Let me give you another news flash from the good news. Your sins are small, your God is big, and you are qualified. Amen. Give the Lord a shout in the house. Say it, out with the old, in with the new. So you can experience God without religion. In fact, that is God's great desire for you, that you experience him without religion. But first, you have to get a revelation of the new covenant. You have to get a revelation of the new contract that Jesus secured for you and for me through his death on the cross. Many of us even have that bound up in a religious book. I'm not talking about the holy word of God, but I mean even in the, the pages of our own mind, of this is how it fits into my religion kind of thing. Or we look at that other denomination and go, well, they're different, so that's how Jesus fits into their religion, or so forth and so on. And what God would want you to do is to boot religion right out of your life completely. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Prayerfully, I've captured your attention. And I can think that we, we can all agree for the most part that the heroes of the Old Testament were far more dedicated than any one of us are. Yet, isn't it interesting that we get the better deal? We get a, a better deal than they did. All the heroes of the Old Testament who were dedicated beyond human belief, and we still get a better deal than they got. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. All these people, talking about our Old Testament heroes, earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received that, that which God... Oh, I knew I got something wrong. None of, none of them received... Where am I at? None of them received... Yeah, all that God promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. God has a new way. God has a new covenant for us. And we need to not only allow the old way, let me say it this way, we need to allow the old way of living in religion to be transformed into a new way of living in relationship with the one who called us righteous, who has qualified us in Christ Jesus. That's actually a good stopping point. For those of you who may be visiting or online at 12 o'clock every day, every single person that's connected to this religious church, 
as a phone alarm that goes off to pray against COVID, pray against the demonic activity, and to pray for those that are affected. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pause everything right now to join our hearts and our hands and our prayers and our faith with, with hundreds of other people across the globe even who are doing this very thing. And we curse COVID-19 and every mutation of that disease at its root. We curse every demonic activity that has been uh, up, uh, turning our world upside down. We curse it in Jesus' name, and we pray for all of those who've been affected in any way, shape, or manner to COVID-19. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm not sure how they managed to put this on the screen, but I want to read a passage of Scripture to you from the Message Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Uh, listen to this. This is so cool. But Jesus' priestly work far surpasses what these other priests do, since he's working from a far better plan. If the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't have been needed. Okay, But we know the first was found wanting because God said, heads up. Now, this is the message way of suggesting. Okay, But God said, heads up, the days are coming when I'll set a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan I set up with their ancestors when I led them by hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God and Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand. The little and the big, the small and the great, they'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins forever wiped away. Wow. Praise God. By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf, and there it stays, gathering dust. Until we show up at church. And then we get the old plan off the shelf, blow off the dust, and go, well, this is how we're supposed to operate. Say it with me, out with the old, and in with the new. That sense of condemnation, that sense of feeling disqualified is brought under a new covenant. It comes from an old way of thinking, but it's brought under a new covenant. And now God etches his desires on our heart so that we want everything that he wants. And second, you know what else? We receive a place at the table of God as a part of the family of God. Amen? That's pretty powerful. We receive a brand new heart. We receive a, a brand new way of thinking. We get a clean slate. We get a fresh start. And beloved, that's God's new way that's radically different from the old way of relating to God. But unfortunately, so many of us are still relating to God in an old way of thinking, and it's time for us to be transformed. God's new covenant is different. In fact, his new covenant did away with the need. It, it, the scripture teaches us, the apostle Paul said, the new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. 
Are you hearing me, brothers and sisters? Our performance is not the, fo- the focus. Under the old covenant, performance was the focus. You had to do right. And even if you, 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 and you couldn't, no one was able to do right. That's why they constantly had to go to the temple to be reminded of their wrongs by sacrificing another animal to atone them in that setting for that sin. But every time they did a sin, they had to go do it all over again. It was an old time, that's old time religion, friends. People who live, and I want you to hear me clearly on this one, people who live their Christian life under the tension and weight of carrying their own cross of salvation. As many people do, they carry their own cross of salvation on their shoulders because if I'm not performing well, then I get zapped by the great cop in the sky and he sends me straight to jail. And you know what it does? It saps your strength, saps your potential, saps your desire to be free because you're completely bound. You've been, it's, everything's been stolen by religion. It's been stolen by duty. It's been stolen by performance. John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. All of us as Christians know this passage of Scripture, yet many of us as Christians don't truly feel free. And it isn't Jesus' fault. The enemy does play a role in it because he wants us to take our Jesus relationship and turn it into a Christian religion. Say it with me. You got it. Said she did that so good, I'm actually going to close now. People uh, always put a, a, a what if when it comes to their salvation. What if I commit suicide? Will I lose my salvation? What if I get a divorce? Will I lose my salvation? What if I, you fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Because we have lived a lot of our Christian life under this weight, this pressure of what if. What if. And here's the thing I want you to understand is that every what if you or I may come up with puts ourself at the center of the equation. What if I? What if I do this? Or what if I do that? You put yourself at the center of the equation, but under the new covenant through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you and I have been taken out of the equation. We, We got one role, and that is to confess and believe in the one who did all the work. We don't have to carry the weight of our own salvation through a daily walk of ups and downs and trips and falls. I'm doing some really good religious duties and activities now. I am hot for Jesus. And a week later, you fall and flat on your face and go, Jesus, where are you? You've made it all about you. I've been there. I've done that. Are you kidding me? I got the cup, the T-shirt, and the hat. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. This is a scripture most Christians know by heart, but don't believe. 
because they're still trying to perform your way into the good graces of God. And you can't. Jesus can. And Jesus did for you and for me. Our salvation, our faith, and even our faithfulness isn't up to us. It's on account of him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithful, I'm sorry, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even our unfaithfulness isn't about us, because he's faithful. Every ounce of spiritual growth that you and I will ever attain is not about us. I mean, you've got to open the book, but you can open the book all day long and not have an ounce of spiritual growth. Okay, You can go to every uh, Believer School of Excellence class you want to, but if you don't have your heart in the right place, it, it ain't, it, you, know, you can open all the books and read all the material and, and still not have a, a spiritual growth. So please, every ounce of spiritual growth that you and I have is about Him. Scripture proves it in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. He's the one that completes it, not you. Yeah, should we have our hands on the plow and, and be you know, busy being disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes, in that essence, but that's not your saving grace. <clears throat> that doesn't qualify you or disqualify you before God in any way, shape, or manner. Everybody all right? That was my introduction. <laughs> oh, it's good news that it's not about me. It's, that's what you should just take on for yourself. Oh, oh, thank you. You've taken me out of the equation. I don't have to bear the cross of my own salvation. I know Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's still there, but that salvation was secured through Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. I walk out that relational thing with him, but not religious thing with him. It's time that we begin a new adventure with Jesus, a relational adventure with Jesus that religion can't steal, kill, or destroy. Say it with me, out with the old and in with the new. Praise team, can y'all come forward, please? Come get in position. Couldn't be a better song for the close of this message because the cornerstone is the main stone, the thing that holds everything else up. But I want to give you an opportunity for bravery, for courage, for, for spitting peer pressure in the face. I want to give you an opportunity to accept Christ into your heart, maybe for the very first time. Maybe some who have done it before need to do it again for the very first time because you recognize that it isn't about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants from you and from me. He isn't concerned about how good you are in church stuff. 
he loves you whether you're clean or whether you're dirty. He loves you whether you're right or whether you're wrong. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that you can be free to sin. That's not what I'm suggesting here today. But what I am suggesting that take yourself out of the equation. If you'll take yourself out of the equation, you'll put Jesus on the throne that he belongs on. See, when you're in the equation, you're on the throne. If I do right, if I do wrong, if I do well, if I perform well, if I do that, if I go clean the church, if I do this, if I work in children's ministry, if I change diapers, and you can go, the list goes on and on and on and on, you st- and, and people somehow think that puts them in a better position with God. And it doesn't because Jesus is the cornerstone, not you, not me. And I've decided again to actually have an altar call today. And I do an invitation call every single Sunday. Not one goes by. But there are some who need to come to the altar of God this morning and say, Father, forgive me for making this relational Christian service with you about performance and about myself because it's all about you. And, you, and, and I'm not trying to get, I don't do altar calls to get people to perform. <laughs> that would stand con, complete antithesis to what I'm preaching. But I'd be shocked if there's any of us in the room who feel like we got it. Oh, man, our spiritual bubble's right where it ought to be. Jesus is so proud of me. It would not surprise me that every one of us need to repent and put Jesus back where he belongs in our life and in our heart. So I'm going to open up the altars. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. They're going to pray with you. They're going to be here for you. Dave, instead of going over there, why don't you come right here? That way the camera can have that section over there. So there's a few people here. Right, for, can I have a, another elder, please? Somebody, can I, do I have another elder in the house that can help me? Prayer ministry team member, somebody. Want one more right here on this front corner? Amen. And you're doing it, bro. Go ahead. He's, just do what this brother did. He says, I'm going. I'm going to fix this with Jesus. I'm going to get myself, my stuff squared away with Jesus today. And I want to ask you to do that, whether you do it where you're at or whether you come forward. But I, I really believe that there's times where we need to draw near unto him. And I know that's a hard thing, but many times we don't move past our feet. That's true to human nature. So take this time as they sing this song to put your heart in the right position with Christ and to put Christ in the right position in your heart. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead, team.
Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. God has orchestrated this entire service around one topic, one theme. Joni and I in no way, shape, or manner got together and collaborated on which songs fit the sermon best. It was all the doing of the Lord. So pray the Lord's blessings be upon you. Have a seat just for a moment, please. Those of you who are in the altars can still continue doing that. Just a couple of announcements I want to share with you before we dismiss you today. Of course, just about all the announcements you need are in your bulletin. And I want to encourage you as well that if you have a praise report or prayer request that you can use this perforated corner of your bulletin. We will celebrate with you and pray for you on the things you request. Ms. Corey, uh, our women's ministry director, has uh, asked me to let you know that Engage Women's Ministry starts February the 11th. You can sign up to get your book at the Info Center. There's a book that go with, goes with that. I believe that you can also visit uh, the Women's Ministry page on the website uh, to get a book as well. So that's coming February 11th. Uh, again, information about that is in your bulletin. We hope to see our men's ministry kicking back in again sometime along the way here as well. Can I get an amen? Uh, second thing is Encounter Youth Ministry has asked me to uh, give a reminder that there's a parent meeting tonight. It's a brief uh, open discussion regarding an upcoming event that our ministry uh, directors, uh, Zach and Jensen Smith, want to take the teenagers on. So upon dropping your student off, please come inside and meet up in the youth room for just a few minutes, a very short meeting. And um, there's our announcements. I think it would behoove us that before we leave this service today is that we pray for America. This Wednesday is the inauguration day. And uh, it leaves a lot, there's many question marks. There's many exclamation points. We're not here to pray in our will, but to pray in God's will, right on? And then agree with that however it turns up, His will, that is. But we need to, the uh, worst thing that can happen is for there to be civil unrest that day. What took place on uh, Wednesday a week or so ago did nothing but tarnish the good name of the conservative movement. It really did. That's unfortunate. We used to have a group up north that would, uh, there, was, there was a specific church denomination in West Branch and they would stand on the street corners and, and uh, carry signs and Bibles and, and herald you know, the message that if you don't repent, you'll fry. But they would do this. We had a, a, a city event. Actually, it was a motorcycle week. It was a big deal up there. And uh, the thing was that I watched this church, and I'm, I'm putting a story together, so bear with me for a minute. I watched this church, they'd wait till the city manager stood at the main intersection of the city to begin announcing things about this festival, to begin to stand on all four corners of that area and begin to shout and proclaim their gospel and tell people they were going to hell. My point being is they gave every Christian 
and every church in that whole community a bad reputation. Are you following me? Because of their actions. And the actions, unfortunate actions of a few have tarnished the good name and in many respects have probably tarnished um, very possibly President Trump for the rest of his life. We don't know that. God can do things beyond any of our imaginations. I know that. My point being is we don't need another uprising. Uh, for now, there needs to be a peaceful transition of power. Whether you agree or whether you don't. Uh, let's have America have a good reputation. So I'd like to take a moment right now to just pray for um, this Wednesday. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. We come to you in agreement of prayer for Wednesday to be a peaceful inauguration. Lord, I, I know it's not about whether we agree or whether we disagree. It's not about us. So, Lord, even based on today's message, I take myself out of the equation and I put you in the center of it because you're the cornerstone. It's all about you. So I ask for your grace upon our nation, for your help upon our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayers and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace upon Wednesday, for safety for people and for no uprising in America. We ask for your good graces upon that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, in Numbers, no, I'm not preaching again. I'm closing. I'm closing. Stand with me. I'm going to send you out blessed. When the preacher gets to the very end of everything and he comes up with another scripture, you're going, oh my gosh, did this guy ever quit? There's a blessing in Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 through 27 thousands of years ago God spoke to Moses and to Aaron and he said I want you to speak these words over my people and when you do I'm going to place my name on them and I'm going to bless them that's powerful that he placed his name the power of his name and everything that comes of that on you and bless you and so as I speak these words over you over your life today as we look to the Father in faith, he's going to place upon you his name and his blessing through Jesus Christ in a fresh, new way today. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, and may the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you, and may the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. God bless you all. We will see you at midweek service. Have a great week. Go in peace and be blessed in the grace of Jesus Christ.